Hey, bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today I'm so excited to have back my lovely podcast brain twin, the amazing interviewer and host of It's a Fandom Thing podcast, the brilliantly beautiful Erin. Hello, and welcome back for Podcast Crossover Day. Hi, thank you for that beautiful intro. I'm like... <laughs> That was really sweet. Thank you. Yeah. And it's all true. You're a great well, thank interviewer. You. I love your interview episodes. And of course, just your podcast in general. It's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, let's see. So what we're going to be covering today is I had recently decided to start a few movie watch series for podcast episodes. And this one came uh, came from something I saw on Twitter about IMDb's top 100 movies, how many have you seen? From that list, I realized I had seen just over a half. So I figured, why not complete the list? <laughs> so today's episode is the first in that series, uh, which I originally dubbed Movies I Haven't Seen or Have Only Seen Bits and Pieces Of or Saw Once But Don't Remember Anything. And as, <laughs> and as much as I love like ridiculously and unnecessarily long titles, we're, we're just going to go ahead and shorten this to movies Jen hasn't seen, starting with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I know. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so as many know, this one stars Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, Will Sampson, Nathan George, and many, many more, and is based on the book of the same title by Ken Kessie. Uh, the movie's available on HBO Max or HBO Overy or whatever the hell it's called these days, or going to be called. And both the movie and book are available for free from your local library. So, uh, and before we get started into the conversation, uh, what I would like to dedicate today's episode to Louise Fletcher, who recently passed away. So that was very sad to see. It was weird timing. Yeah, very sad. So we'll go ahead and do the little synopsis from IMDb. Uh, in the fall of 1963, a Korean War veteran and criminal pleads insanity and is admitted to a mental institution where he rallies up the scared patients against the tyrannical nurse. Uh, my little uh, thing that I wrote down was that, so I'm just supposed to keep living my life normally now after having finally seen this movie. <laughs> That's amazing. Sorry. <laughs> That's how I felt. I walked out of the room and I'm just like, huh. My husband's like, yeah, all right. I'm like, I and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was a great movie and I really, really enjoyed it. So we'll go ahead and get started. So Aaron, why don't you go ahead and give us your general thoughts of this movie and why you decided to pick this movie to have me watch for the first time? Well, this is uh, my third all-time favorite movie my number one all-time favorite movie is Magnolia, followed by Donnie Darko, and then followed by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I think all three of those kind of have a running theme all about uh, mental health and mental illness and the way we treat it and um, also our connections to each other and humanity and stuff like that. So I, so I think there's a theme there. And the reason I chose, that's the reason I chose this, because I think this is a brilliant, amazing movie um for me personally anything having to do with mental health and the way the system used to treat people with mental illness it's not necessarily that it's great and wonderful now but the way they used to treat people 
and the lack of humanity involved in it and how so many people that were in these institutions then ended up being on the street because when they shut down the places, they were supposed to build better places that were humane and that didn't really happen. So to me, it's like such an important movie about society and the way we treat people that are different or that we don't want to look at and how we like to just shove them in a corner and not look at it. So I know that doesn't really completely explain why I chose it for you. It's not that I wanted to torture anyone emotionally. I just think this is one of those movies that is kind of essential viewing. I'm not, and I understand if it's hard to watch because it is hard to watch. It's one of my, it's my all-time, one of my all-time favorite movies, but I haven't watched it like tons because it is so draining to watch it. But it also, I think, is a very hopeful movie in a lot of ways. I think the ending is one of the most beautiful endings of any movie I've ever seen. I think the final the final shot and the final scene and who actually is the person who is the one who flies over the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. I think is what makes this movie even more beautiful. Because it's when you're watching this and you're the, it's Jack Nicholson, main person. I mean, the opening credits is Jack Nicholson in <laughs> when yep. he flew over the cuckoo's nest. So your thought is this is who's going to fly over the cuckoo's nest. And, you know, I mean, spoilers for a movie from like 30 years <laughs> But that isn't who flies over the cuckoo's nest. And that to me, even though it's so dour and we just experienced a horrible death of Brad Dourif, I I just want to give a shout out to him who he was nominated for this and this won, you know, some Academy Awards too. But he's so incredible in this movie. And we just recently covered Deadwood, Deadwood on my podcast. And I spoke about how with Brad Dourif, I just always remember him as Billy. And so every time I see him in another role, I see Billy and Billy breaks my heart into a million, million pieces. So I have a soft spot for him. And so you're, you've just witnessed horrors and horrible stuff and people dying. And then you have someone leaving. So it's like this weird thing of like, we've been tortured for a couple of hours emotionally, but we're going to give you this hope where we're going to have someone actually escape this situation that they've found themselves in or that they've been put in against their will too. So I don't know. I just think that was probably a lot of rambling, rambling, but this movie just means a lot to me emotionally. I think it's one of the few that actually is really good at portraying mental illness and mental health and the way people in power treat the people that they're supposed to be helping. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, by the, like I said, by the time I got done with this movie, I felt changed and different. And it is very much like this emotional kind of roller coaster throughout the film because, you know, there's like these happy moments where they're experiencing joy and the freedom and they're like little fishing trip. And I'm just like smiling. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is like the sweetest movie. And again, since I hadn't seen it, I've only seen, you know, clips from when it's featured on different like top movie lists and stuff like that. So there was a few parts that I was familiar with, but I didn't know about the ending. (laughs) So I was like, oh, my God, like I'm upright. I'm like stressed out. And I'm like, you know, poor Billy. And I was like, "Okay, like I kind of figured that was going to happen. But then the way it all went down, it was still very shocking. And I was like, oh, my God, Uh, uh, Cheswick's plea for his cigarettes was so heartbreaking and just the demand and the need to just have something, his thing. He doesn't want his cigarettes or his cigarettes. He wants his. And I think that 
felt like that spoke to spoke more broadly and it was just the passion and everything oh my god this movie i i get it i get why this is a top 100 movie i get why this is a movie that a lot of people most folks should see again it is hard to watch but it's it's so well done the performances were amazing and Mm -hmm. i mean oh my god i was i was blown away and i'm like i can't believe i went this long (laughs) before seeing this movie (laughs) So I I absolutely this was a solid pick. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for for putting yourself through it. Yeah, no problem. Nice <laughs> <laughs> to be able to talk about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I the list is the for characters and stuff is kind of small, but I figured this will probably still be a very easy conversation. But we'll go ahead and start with uh Mick Murphy played by Jack Nicholson. So, okay, here's my question. All right, because I didn't know that he was already in jail and then kind of being transferred to the mental institution. Uh, so, so why what was his intent to be switched to this other facility because it was going to be easier to break out or just easier for him? Just kind of looking to like write out the rest of his time in a quote easier place. I think that was his assumption. I think his assumption was, "I'll play." quote unquote crazy for a little bit and then it'll be easier I won't have to do um, the work detail that I'm having to do which you assume might have even been like might have even been like chain gang type stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so you're not sure what that what that was what that entailed but I think that was his thing was he was trying to who's trying to find a way to get out easy and he thought well I'll pretend like I'm crazy I'll get sent somewhere. It'll be easy. It'll be like being in a hospital for like 68 days. I'll be gone. I'll be done with my sentence and I'll be free. And I, he didn't realize that he was what he was doing. He had no idea because he's never been in a place like that. People didn't talk about this stuff. That's the thing that people don't realize is back then people didn't talk about this stuff. That was like a secret. If someone was like put in one of these places, you didn't really necessarily explore that. Right. So I think that I think he definitely thought this will be the way that I can get out of my sentence easily. I can, you know, I don't have to be in jail. I can instead be somewhere cushy or cushier in his head. I think that's really what he thought. And then just kind of not realizing that since he belongs to the state or whatever, because he was already locked up, that his time there even was not voluntary versus the other patients who were voluntary, which still felt like, I'm like, were, were they really voluntary or was it more of like a, pre- like it just, they kept saying they were there voluntarily. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I believe you. I feel like it might've been phrased in a way where these patients when admitted felt like they had the choice, but maybe not, you know what I mean? Like manipulated into thinking they were there volu- admitting themselves voluntarily. Well, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to speak from, I can speak on a lot of this in a different way. I can speak from complete personal experience. So when I was a teenager, when I was 14, I was hospitalized against my parents' will, against my will and what they can do back then. I, this is true, 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 true. Early nineties, late eighties, there was an epidemic. I'm serious. I knew so many teens that this happened to where teenagers were being hospitalized all the time for insurance. It was basically 
you got all the insurance money. Once the insurance money ran out, you were kind of kicked out, but then a lot of them would get into the system and there was still a public mental health hospital that I, I, I was never in, but um, called Fort Logan here, who's that's shut down now. Um, but anyway, so, you know, you, you're put on a 72 hour hold is what it's called. You're put on that for your protection, for your safety, because if they think you're going to kill yourself or if you're going to harm someone else, they will put you on a hold. And so I was put on that. And then what they do is they manipulate you. It's, and I, and I'm not, and I want to also preface this by saying, please don't let this stop you from seeking help because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's a lot different now. I'm not saying horrible stuff doesn't happen. I'm just saying, I, I want to make sure people don't use this. <laughs> Go, okay, I'm not going to seek help because uh, it is scary. But, but, you know, I think you should also know the way the system works somewhat is that what happened, what happened with me is after the 72 hours and you go through, you don't rest during that time. You're, you're tested. You're in this place with all these other people that you don't know. You're scared out of your mind when you're a teenager. It's, you know, it's like, oh my God, what the hell is going on in my life? My life just completely changed within like two seconds. And then they, they will meet with you and go over what they, they will evaluate you with your parents there. If you're an adult, I'm sure it's just done by yourself. And they will say, okay, so this is what we think is going on with you. And so you can either agree to voluntarily be here for a week. This is exactly what happened to me. Or we can end up petitioning the court and have you here for a month. Wow. So then you, so then what are you going to choose? I mean, right. are you going to want to fight that no matter how angry you are? So you do a week, you end up talking to all the other patients, you know, you just lie. I mean, a lot of people just lied and said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And most people would be more messed up once they left. Once again, I'm not saying all hospitals are like this and they really do seek help, but that's, so I think, you know, that's why coming from my point of view, they probably were in there, quote unquote, voluntarily, but a lot of it is emotional manipulation. Right. And then it's also when you're in there long enough, it becomes really hard to deal with the real world anymore because you have been told that you're a certain way. You've been going through highly emotional and stressful situations the whole time you're there. It's not like you're on, I'm sure there are places like that, but it's not like you're on like a spa vacation or something. You're going through, basically, you're having to do work on your mind and mental work. And you're also being, you know, given drugs and you don't know how they're going to affect you. So you're so manipulated that it becomes harder to leave. So yes, they were probably there voluntarily like they said they were but they weren't they were so manipulated and so used to being there that it became safer for them they felt safer there and that's part of the way it works with a state one where they're not worried about the money they're not gonna they're not gonna be like kicking you out once the money runs out but with ones that aren't state run they'll be like oh well you're fine now and you might be worse off but they'll kick you out because they can't because you can't pay for it anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's a very traumatic experience. And so I think, you know, it, with the cigarette scene in particular, that to me really spoke to here is someone who's basically given up all of their control. Mm -hmm. And then McMurphy comes in and really shines a light and puts a mirror in everybody's faces. And so for him, it was like, 
I've got to have some kind of control in my life. So having his own cigarettes, trying to, uh, you know, be an adult again and put forth what he wanted and communicate his needs. It, he didn't even care about the cigarettes. It was about saying, I want to have some say and control in my life because he couldn't admit to the fact that he had given all control away and that he actually didn't want to be there logically. He just didn't know what to do. So right. hope that all was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought I'd be, I'd share it from a personal thing so you can yeah. kind of see why that would end up happening. Sure. So no, and I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. And yeah, that's, I mean, like I said, it just, I couldn't help but kind of get that feeling. And maybe by that point in the movie, kind of the tone and everything is being set and laid out. So you, at least for me, I was just like, yeah, I don't know that I trust. Obviously, you know, Nurse Ratchet, she's always on like villain lists and everything. So you kind of, I went in knowing that I couldn't really trust her and stuff. So I was like, oh, so yeah, but I I really liked what McMurphy did in bringing in that uh, kind of that mirror, as you said, holding it up to everyone and kind of bringing in like this level of like chaos, but control in, in that in like this, like kind of liberating chaos and giving these other patients a bit of control or kind of opening their eyes to that. It, it's it can be more than this. And you can have more than this, even if it is just demanding your own cigarettes or, you know, you don't have to like fully give in and mm -hmm. you can stand up and fight to want to watch the World Series and you can vote for. Oh, man. So I really liked I really liked McMurphy and how he brought all of that in and everything. And again, I not seeing I totally thought he was the one that flew the nest. And so when he did it and they walk him back out and he you could tell this time he's not faking it i was like oh no <laughs> yeah it's heartbreaking it was so heartbreaking and then you know they just call him chief and so he he's found this confidence and everything through mcmurphy and i loved kind of watching his character's kind of growth and progression throughout this movie because i kind of remember a little bit of like the basketball bits you know, in the mm -hmm. beginning, uh, McMurphy's trying to help Chief, like, you know, play basketball or, you know, just put the ball into the basket and kind of midway through the movie, they're all playing and it's like a nice rousing game. And Chief is like smiling and he's running back and forth and he's like, oh, they're just having so much fun. So I, I did remember all of a little bit, little bits of that, those kind of moments of joy and 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 those wins. And uh, so I love seeing that. You know, because I think he tells McMurphy that he's he feels as big as a mountain now. He kind of has that confidence back. And so I'm glad that it was Chief that flew the nest and everything. But it was it was so sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that. Part, yeah. Him. McMurphy. McMurphy dying and, you know, and dying because the chief was like, I know you're not going to want to live your, I mean, he knew he wasn't going to live his life like that. It was a mercy killing and it was totally justified. And it was totally actually one of the most loving things mm -hmm. that had probably ever that happened to him. I know that may sound weird, but it's true. It was very loving, but to see that, cause you've watched this character that in the beginning, you know, he's convinced everybody there that he's deaf and mute and everything. And he's not. And he's done that so that he flies under the radar. He doesn't have to do all the other stuff. He doesn't even have to, he doesn't even go to the groups. He doesn't do any of that. And then he meets someone who kind of just 
is like, well, I'm not going to ignore you. So, cause everybody's been ignoring him. Mm-hmm. And so then McMurphy doesn't ignore him. And then he builds that friendship. And then I don't think he would have ever broken out if that hadn't happened, if that friendship hadn't happened, but watching him do that and break free and not having to watch anyone trying to chase him, anyone trying to capture him, nothing like that. Just watching that sense of freedom and going out to something that like, all you're seeing is like mountains in the distance and it's just really pretty. And it mirrors exactly the opening scene from the beginning. So it's just such a beautiful, beautiful scene, even though you just had all this heartbreak. Um, I think more with Billy's death more than any of the other, but you had all this heartbreak and then you have this hope that someone is actually breaking free of this and actually is using their own free will. And yeah, I mean, the whole leading up to that and pulling that out and was just because, you know, it's foreshadowed, of course, earlier in the film, but I just love that so much. And when it was foreshadowed, because I'm still thinking it's Jack that's going to make the escape. (laughs) I'm like, seriously, how? Okay. So I was like, all right, well, maybe he gets you know, chief to help him like pull it out. And then, but he's the one that escapes. So for me, it was still like a really, a really great twist, you know, and I'm, I like being, you know, emotionally attacked when I watch my shows and movies. So it was like perfect for me. (laughs) Oh God, my heart. Uh, Yeah, it was. And like I said, the performances all around in this movie were great from Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, all of them. So, I, you know, we can touch on some of these different, the different patients and everything, but let's get to uh, Nurse Ratchet. Uh, so, other than having watched the Ryan Murphy series on Netflix, Ratchet, and just kind of, like I said, seeing that this character ends up on villain lists, I knew what to expect. But uh, here were some of my notes as I was going through that I think you might just get a little bit of a kick out of. The first one is... <laughs> Oh, she seems nice. You know, very soft-spoken, that gentle voice. Okay, she seems like a bit of a killjoy with the whole, like, World Series and the voting and then not being completely honest about how many votes he needed. And it wasn't just people in the group, but it had to be everyone on the on the floor in the ward. And then to the end when she's threatening to tell Billy's mom, I was like, yeah, okay, that's a bit much. And then it just ends with, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed uh, Louise Fletcher's performance, and I could even see just in thinking of the TV series Ratchet with um, Sarah Paulson. I was like, okay, I can see where Sarah pulled from, you know, inspiration from the original character, and that's cool and everything. Still not sure that show was necessary, but uh, that's just my personal opinion. But I really, I really liked it because there was something initially kind of disarming about her, but also untrustworthy kind of kind of creepy and scary even from that opening shot where she's coming in and she's opening up and everything it's like oh you know she smiles and says good morning but there's just something about the way she carried herself and again maybe that's just knowing enough about this character going into it so um what are your thoughts on nurse ratchet and louise fletcher's portrayal of the evil nurse this was the main reason i didn't I was really upset when I heard Ryan Murphy was making Ratchet because the reason this character is one of the best villains that has ever been on screen is because she's so real. She's so real. 
like I have known nurse ratchets through the mental health system, tons of them. There are more nurse ratchets than aren't, frankly, <laughs> when she get to, because they're really what she is, is she's someone who originally started out as I think she truly wanted to help people when she first got into this business. And, that, and that's the way Louise Fletcher approached it too, um, is, you know, there was a part of her that wanted to help them, but she became power hungry because she's holding all of these men's lives in her hands. Mm -hmm. She can decide what she can help decide what medication. Yes, there are psychiatrists and she's not a psychiatrist, but she interacts with them more than the psychiatrists do. So she can have a little bit more say in what happens. She can manipulate them mentally without even realizing, I think, always consciously what she's doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think she got to the point also where she stopped caring. She got that compassion fatigue. And so you're seeing her way past compassion fatigue where that has turned more to almost disdain for these patients. She does not like these patients. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to see any caring there. And when McMurphy comes in and McMurphy is challenging her authority at every turn and what he's challenging more than anything is her control of these patients. So, I mean, like, especially with the world series with getting people to vote for that. And then when she cha keeps changing the rules because he's going to win yep. and she can't have that because if she has that, she has no control over these patients she can't have a good record. She can't have like, you know, she can't be able to help them and do the, you know, nurse Nightingale thing when she's actually not like that. And so I think that's a lot of where she's coming from. So even though she knows McMurphy shouldn't be there at all, she, of course, when they do that round table with all the doctors and she's there and she's like, no, he's a danger and he should be here because she's pissed. Mm -hmm. She is furious at him. Because he has just at every turn gotten her. And then she ends up getting the upper hand in the end with him. And she's just evil. But actually, evil is not the right word for it. She's just really, really a terrible person who has become so shut off from compassion that she just, she's all about power and control and being the best. I mean, her hair is always perfect mm -hmm. and always in this perfect little way that it fits her little hat all the time. Yep. She's like, and also I think at that time period for a woman to have that much power and that much control was pretty rare mm -hmm. and everything was changing in society. That's another thing that's important to remember with this movie too, because Ken Kesey, who wrote this, wrote a lot of books that were very much about like, he's kind of beat generation. So he's like the beat authors. So a lot of that of rebelling against society and so she's kind of like society and she's like the norm and the powers that be and to have a woman have that much say and control, even though you see sometimes she's fighting against the men, like with that round table thing. Mm -hmm. I think she also loved that because as a woman, you don't get that. So she's just a very complex character. So then, you know, that's why I was so hesitant about Ratchet because Ryan Murphy tends to forget that these are real people like that. This is someone that really could exist. This isn't like a fictional character. So he will ramp up the weirdness and do all the other stuff. And so it's hard because to me, they're not the same person at all. Mm -hmm. I can see where like, cause I've watched ratchet a couple of times, but so I can see where Sarah Paulson took stuff from Louise Fletcher's performance, but they're two very different characters mm -hmm. because 
uh, you know, their Louise Fletcher's nurse ratchet is very real. And Sarah Paulson's isn't in a lot of respects. I don't, I just mean like, she's like what really happens to a lot of people, I think in that, in that field. And yeah. And the performance is incredible. She, she couldn't watch this performance. She was like, I was so awful and horrible that I really had a hard time watching it for years. She was really kind of miserable. I think making some of this, not miserable baby, but because she wasn't allowed to ever have fun. She always had to be stoic and cold. So like on one of the last days of shooting or something, she showed up and had her clothes off (laughs) just to show that she could like be fun. She Mm -hmm. wanted to show she could be funny. So, but, but it's an amazing, incredible, incredible performance. So. Oh, absolutely. And completely deserving of the award that she won for it and everything. And I was, I was just I was really blown away and it was really, I really enjoyed watching this kind of original uh, version of Nurse Ratched because, you know, I watched Ryan Murphy's show first. And so it was, it, and that kind of sucked in the sense that every time I was watching Louise Fletcher, all I could kind of think was the little bits that I would recall from Ryan Murphy's Ratched series. And I just, I was like, I really wish I could erase that for just <laughs> this two hours <laughs> So I could go in and just watch Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet and only have that to think about. But it was, oh, I just, oh, I loved her. I, I, I love how, you know, I'm a sucker for villains. So I just, she's so <laughs> manipulative and sneaky. And I think you're absolutely right with the wanting to hold on to the power. And especially in that room with the other doctors and everything, like the only woman in there and actually asked like, her opinion so she gave it and she makes she sounds so convincing too but Mm -hmm. you knew she was coming from a petty ass place of like i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get mcmurphy fuck that guy he's fucking up my shit so but she just oh my god the way she does that and that yeah just kind of oh i loved it (laughs) (laughs) my friend laura and i were talking about villains the other day and we're kind of working on maybe an episode where we rank different villains. We're going to compile each compile like a list of our top 10 villains. And then we're going to rank their sexiness because <laughs> we're a little <laughs> horny for villains. It's a, it's a problem. We acknowledge it, but well, we'll make sure and throw nurse ratchet on that list and see, <laughs> but yeah, she is, she was something she was definitely a force and you definitely get the sense, you know, between, like you said, the perfection with her hair and how her hat sits at the end when she walks in to the, the morning after their big party and everything and her hat's on the floor and it's all dirty and just the way she holds it and the way she kind of looks at it. Oh, you knew she was pissed mm-hmm. and it was kind of scary. It was. Yeah. And then just, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I really wish I. I probably should have watched it a couple more times before today. So I could have like really sat with everything. So I'm still on that like first watch kind of high of like, oh my God, it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) It was so devastatingly amazing. (laughs) Yes. So, all right. Um, Anything else about maybe McMurphy or Ratchet or any other patients we want to talk about? Um, well, the only other thing I want to, well, there, I I want to talk about Billy because I I love Billy, but, but, um, with McMurphy, the other little thing with McMurphy is that 
he loves to play off like he is so confident and sure of himself. He is so scared. He is scared throughout this whole movie, even in the very beginning. And he's pretending and playing it off like he's not. And when he finds out that he is not necessarily going to be leaving after 68 days and he could be stuck there for basically his whole life. That terror in his eyes. Uh, Jack Nicholson is so good. He he also won the Oscar, but he's so good in this role because you see that like flicker in his eyes, that moment of just like, oh shit, what the fuck did I do? Yep. So it's just, oh, it's so harrowing and so sad. And when he is so full of rage when uh, after Billy and when he tries mm-hmm. to kill Nurse Ratchet, which I wouldn't have cared if she died. Right. <laughs> I would have cared because of what would have happened to him. And if he hadn't done that, I, I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure they would have still done the shock treatment till the point where he would have been like he was, but I'm not positive because I think that was the thing that kind of, you know, pushed it over the edge. Mm-hmm. And it was all because he wanted to be able to give Billy like a great night. He wanted to be yeah. able for Billy to have fun for once. And Another thing with him is I don't think he anticipated when he went in there that he would actually end up caring about these men so much. And he really, really did, Mm -hmm. which I think was just really interesting to watch. So, yeah, but and no one else could play this role. And so I really hope it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I'm really glad that it looks like Ratchet is not going to go to the point that Ryan Murphy wanted it to do where the last season would be with Mick Murphy. Because no, you just can't. You just, Mm -hmm. this is Jack Nicholson's role. No one else could have played this role like Mm -hmm. he did. And so no one else should. So, (laughs) yeah, I agree. That would definitely very be like very, be very hard to fill those shoes and to kind of live up to that role. Because you're right, the way he goes from thinking, oh, I'm just riding out my sentence to caring about these guys and taking them out. I mean, he jumps the fence, he could have taken off by himself i know but he he stole the bus i love <laughs> i love how easy it was for him to break out steal the bus and how long they got to be out on the boat before they had to, they were brought back it's like ah oh, 1975 but he really did he really came to care about these guys and wanting to show them a little bit more about life and have fun and enjoy things mm-hmm. while you kind of can and enjoy these moments and because that for a second, I was really worried that like he was going to escape when he had his chance at the night of the party and everything. And so when uh, the next shot is like the morning and everyone's kind of slowly waking up and they show the window open, and we don't see McMurphy right away. I was like, oh, man, he left and he's going to like they're going to have to deal with that aftermath. And then he didn't leave. And I was like good but also shit <laughs> a big old mixed bag of emotions so and then yeah just the rage that he felt after everything with billy and his attack on ratchet was very very intense because i didn't know if she lives or dies at the end of this one so i was like oh shit and that fight scene whatever you want to call it that struggling with him choking holy shit that what looked intense and it's so did. real and then and then like that next shot of nurse ratchet back in the nurse's station sometime after she's calling people up for the medications 
She's got that neck brace and she's like trying to smile and like tilt her head. No, that was one of the creepier moments, I thought. I just, that was not okay. Because even though she's like in this brace and everything and she's injured, she still won and she knew it. And she was holding on to that win. And she's like, here you go, Mr. Fredrickson. (laughs) And oh, no, thank you. But so well done. It, oh my yeah. god! So, yeah, I really I loved Jack Nicholson's performance in this. I mean, like I like I've said, this is probably the, I think the third time everyone does such a good freaking job in this movie, and they really tug at the heartstrings, and the actors they really kind of felt like they really threw themselves kind of into their roles where you get the feeling that like yes, Christopher Lloyd is a patient in a mental institution or Danny DeVito, you know, all these actors mm-hmm. amazing and i'm so sorry it took me so long to watch this movie <laughs> so <laughs> i feel so silly um well, no I, th- I think there are a lot of people probably that haven't watched this movie or you know i think sometimes people think older movies they don't want to watch them as you know i don't know yeah. <laughs> i'm not saying that's why you didn't i'm just saying that that's <laughs> And this is a movie, it's like, you know, it's been around since 1975, so it's always been around. It's it kind of has always been, it's like solidified its place in pop culture, like film history. And mm-hmm. so it's always been there and around. And again, watching all these, you know, shows about all the top lists of movies and this and that, I felt like I had seen enough where I'm like, I don't need to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but like those lists never gave away the ending so i'm like oh yeah whatever jack he he flew the cuckoo's nest it's in it's the name of the movie <laughs> oh boy am i so silly <laughs> but all right so dear sweet billy oh, oh sweet my god billy. i love billy oh my god i love billy so much mm-hmm. so so much and it oh. was he was just he was so sweet and just so endearing and i just loved him to pieces i thought he was so cute and so when he's fine, kind of first telling his story during group about, you know, he went and, met, you know, the girl that he liked and then that didn't work out and, you know, self-harm and all of that, you kind of knew like, all right, that's going to come around. Like, I felt like that was going to be a bit of foreshadowing, but I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. So when it did and the one other nurse screams, I was like, oh, no, I was like, no, now amongst all of this other stuff going on (laughs) i wasn't prepared for it so that was that was so sad to watch and even everything leading up to that with ratchet uh just tormenting him about like well i'm gonna tell your mother and this and that like oh my god and him pleading and pleading and because at first he's like whatever i did what i did and he's kind of happy about it and he's proud of himself well, people are cheering for him. And... Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, you know, own it. You got it. And then, yeah, Ratchet goes Ratchet. And he gets scared. And he starts to beg and plead. And there goes my heart. So, <laughs> I, yeah. Billy, so. You love Billy, too. I know. I do. Billy breaks my heart. Like, every time I watch this, I wish for a different ending for Billy. I wish he could have left with Chief. I wish he could have, um, you know, I, I think he's one of the characters in here. One other thing I do appreciate about this movie is not everybody is like so like 
cuckoo kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, there are different levels and different um, illnesses and different things shown. And with Billy, Billy is just so, so insecure. And I'm sure a lot of it is from his mom. I have a feeling mm -hmm. and his family and he, and, you know, he's got a stutter. And so I think that probably caused more insecurity for him. Um, and just watching him through this and watching him, you know, he goes from having no confidence. Like he did, never wants to start any of the meetings, even when Nurse Ratch is always trying to push him to start him. Mm -hmm. And he never wants to. And then he meets somebody, McMurphy, who's like the first person that like pushes him in a way that is different and is like trying to give him confidence and trying to show him that there's other stuff to do when he's a young kid and he should be out there, you know, living his life and he shouldn't be trapped and stuck in here. And so watching him slowly gain that confidence and have that night, that date and sleep with that woman and with Candy, having that um, was so, oh, just so beautiful for him. Mm -hmm. And then to have, to have Nurse Ratchet take that and use it against him and do the mom thing, use it against him to such a point that he ends up out of desperation and i know mcmurphy wasn't mad at him about this but ends up saying it's all his fault right. now will you please just not tell my mom will you please not tell me and he just keeps saying it over and over again and she's so ice and so cold to him and you also get the feeling that up until recently he was like thinking of her as probably even another mother figure in his life another person to take care of him and not only is she going to tell his mom which might make his mom really disappointed in him but also she's disappointed in him and so it's like watching this moment of elation turn into this moment of such complete heartbreak and he was always on the edge there always on the edge to going over and unaliving himself he was all that was always there and then that was the final push and all of that blood is you know, I, I I normally would never blame this on anybody, but it's it's in her, it's on her hands, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I know he was always on the edge, but she pushed him over, and she knew what she was doing. Yep. I don't think she wanted him to die or wanted him to do that. I just think she knew what she was doing. She knew how fragile he was, and you don't do that to someone who's that fragile emotionally. Instead, if you were an actual caring person and who cared about someone's mental health. You might be like, well, why don't we talk about this? We'll have an actual conversation. I won't. Don't worry. I'm not going to tell your mom. Right. I'm not going to tell your mom about this. Let's just talk about what this meant. Instead, she uses it as pa more power, more control. And so as a result of her hunger for power, this is what happens. She ends up with blood on her hands, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's not her. I don't think she ever wanted him to die. You do see a look in her face. When she goes in there of like, oh my gosh, what the, I did not intend for this to happen. So it was never something she thought would happen. She just thought I will manipulate him so much that it'll stop being that he, McMurphy has control over him. And now I'm going to have control again. Mm -hmm. And it's just so heartbreaking because he was so sweet and, and he wasn't, you know, very easily this character could have been like that um you know outcast guy who's really kind of sleazy with mm -hmm. 
women. And he really wasn't. He was really sweet to Candy the whole time. He was very, you know, like, like a boyish charm to him and just innocent and never wanting to hurt anybody, never wanted to hurt a soul. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's sadly not surprising that of all the characters, he's the one who got hurt the most in this movie because he was so sensitive and his heart on his sleeve and basically had no cover. He was like this walking wound in a lot of respects. So I just, I wish just he could have been held and hugged and loved and that's all he really deserved. He was just the best. I just, yeah. And that's why I will always have a soft spot for Brad Dourif. Mm-hmm. And Brad Dourif is incredible in this role. He's so dang good. So good. He's so good. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned that, you know, it, his this character could have kind of gone a more, you know, creepier, you know, kind of route. And I feel like, I felt like in what, while watching this movie, I was worried that maybe some of these patients had a darker secret or kind of a darker side, and they didn't. And so that was kind of really refreshing that, you know, Billy's not necessarily, quote, crazy but you know yeah he's got the self-esteem issues confidence the stutter which and I don't think he was you know like I don't think like a lot of these patients these characters were quote-unquote crazy you know they've got stuff they've got to work through Harding has trust issues with his wife clearly but it wasn't any anything ever like you know like they were icky murderers or anything like that they just were people that kind of that needed help but ended up in ratchet's care so didn't really get the help that they probably really needed so i I thought that was kind of really refreshing in the sense that they're just they're people that just need some help and there's not a darker you know what i mean like they're not murderers or anything like that at least that from what we know or that i picked up on but they're just well, there was that- probably a ward where there were ones that were yeah. murderers. But if you're if you are a murderer and you're like, from what I understand, I think you're put in a totally different. Sure. That you know, you're sense. kept away from other patients. I think I don't really know this for a fact, yeah. but I believe that's the case because it's because it, they're not going to want to put you like in the general, like the general population for. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that I think a lot of people think this is why we still don't deal with mental health the way that we should is it's having a mental illness is not the is just the same as having any other physical ailment. You just might not be able to actually see it, but it's there. And that doesn't mean that, you know, like calling someone crazy is kind of like, you know, it's kind of demeaning because that's not what it is. It's you have um a mental health problem um and some of them are ones that can be dealt with your whole entire life and you you know with therapy and everything like that and there's just different levels so showing that not everybody that is in a place like this is going to be someone that you have in that is like a stereotype of someone like that so yeah so i did i did i did i did like that with at least this cast of characters that we were given so uh, one thing I kind of had written down real quick was, so when they're, you know, 
the movie starts and people are lining up to get their medications and, you know, they're all doling them out. And we see this in a lot of movies with handing out medications. It's It almost seems like it just kind of comes from like the same jug and it's you, you don't know what it is. The patients don't know what it is. And depending on the plot line, you know, it's some sort of sedative, whatever. But I always I couldn't help but wonder like this time around. So, you know, back in like 1975 or whatever, were you and you're admitted to a, a facility like this, are you just given a prescription for these in-house meds, even if you maybe didn't have a prescription going in or even a new prescription? Like, it just always seems so... There is, like, an unsettling kind of factor to it. And, again, maybe it's just from what I have seen shows and movies. And, again, that's not going to be your more accurate depictions and everything. But it just something about it this time, just the way they were kind of pacing them out and calling them up. And then I'm just like, so how I was just like, how does that work where all of a sudden you're just you're in a facility and it's medication time and they all look the same. It seems like, you know what I mean? It just I don't know. There was something about it this time, maybe because it was ratchet doing it where I'm just like, I don't trust you. (laughs) You're just doping these people up. to keep them more sedated and easier for you to control. I mean, is that again, shows and movies, I know, but it the way that it's always kind of depicted that way. There's something about it that just will always seem a little on like the creepy side for me in my opinion. But I was just like, oh. yeah, but it's true. <laughs> it's <Yeah. accurate. laughs> no, it I mean, um, you know, in the the last time that I was um, in a hospital when I was suicidal and I hadn't, I, I have a really hard time with sleep anyway, and I hadn't really slept very much. And they gave me a, I don't even remember, it might've been trazodone or something, which if you ever watched Silver Linings playbook, there's a scene where they're all sitting around and they're eating and it's, it's uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's character are exchanging like their experiences with different medication. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie because it's so accurate. And I've never seen anyone do this in a movie before. And, and they're both like, Traza, what? Because that's really, it like knocks you on your, it's like a, it's like a lead thing on your brain. And they gave that to sleep, but yet they also had to keep checking on my vitals. So it was like you sleep and then like you're woken up every couple of hours. It's the weirdest flipping thing, but they do that. They give you um, medication pretty quickly. If you're in a very, uh, tr- if you're in a very um, like, dangerous you're a danger to yourself or anything like that Mm -hmm. they do it to try and stabilize you um and then when you get into the hospital they are trying to find some kind of medication to put you on it does i don't think they always do it with kids necessarily because it's a lot different so teenagers but when you're an adult they are like okay we're gonna try this medication or if they knew you used to take certain medication they will prescribe that Mm -hmm. so they do do it they think of it as it's another way to try and stabilize you. And it is very much, it's medication time, but they check the one thing in this movie is it would been very hard for McMurphy to not have, to have gotten away with keeping that pill there because they check. They're like, lift your tongue, you know, do all that stuff. They they don't trust you that you're going to take it. So yeah, so it's very, it's, it's very true, but it is, there is a creepy side to it where you're not given a prescription it's just kind of like we're. Tr- it's like crisis mode. You're in crisis mode, so you don't have time to do a prescription. You don't have time to do a full write up, and then that stuff happens later. So, 
I mean, it's right to feel creepy about it because there is something. And in this one, it's creepier because you also have the 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 music going on yeah. and you have the sing song of it's medication time. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, let's keep you all in line so you don't fight with each other and you don't like battle and you don't argue. It's very much that kind of thing. It's also to keep everyone calm and quiet and stuff like that. So it's it is creepy. I'm not which I am not saying I'm against medication at all because right. I it saves my life but I am just saying that there there is that part of it where it is like let's keep everybody calm and in this movie that's really I think what they're showing mm-hmm. yeah is it's time for everybody to take your medicine so that you'll stay um you know I think another I think another reason Ken Kesey probably did that in the novel is as a way of showing um society and um you know the powers that be in the higher up and the like the quote unquote normal society that everybody should be in trying to keep everybody in line. Mm-hmm. And, and so another way to do that is through drugs like this mm-hmm. through pharmaceutical drugs, as opposed to like, if you were experimenting with other drugs kind of thing. So sure. I think that's the other reason it's in there, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was just kind of curious. Cause I mean, like I said, it, it appears in shows and movies it's, you know, they're always, it's done to fit the storyline of the show or movie that it's in, but kind of this time i was just like that's that's something i don't like about it um so you've read the book i assume long time ago long time so ago. it'll be hard for me to speak to it but <laughs> but i i well i used to love like beat writers and beat authors and stuff and and ken kesey is considered as being kind of in that mm-hmm. but i was more like i like jack kerouac and and stuff like that but yeah so okay. so i can't comment on the changes or I can't remember. <laughs> right on. I, I, that's fine. Because that, that I was going to ask if there was anything from book to movie that you liked or didn't like. But hey, that's quite all right. You can skip that part. No big deal. So. <laughs> all right. Let's see. Um, Anything else that we haven't gone to? Because I know there's a bunch of other characters that we haven't discussed. Um, we touched a little bit on like Cheswick, but there's also Harding and Christopher Lloyd's character and just... I mean, really all the guys that he brings out on to the boat and his his little group, like from group. Um, anyone left that uh, we didn't get to, but we should? You know, it it is interesting that not all of the patients um, were readily like ready to follow McMurphy. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, some that are very much like no, I'm going to, you know, which was mainly Harding, but, but there are some that don't want to. And I think it's because it's another thing of power. Like he's the new person in that situation. And when you're in that situation, you've been there for a while with certain people, you're not going to trust new people that come in. Mm-hmm. It's just the same as like in any situation, when you've been there for a long time, there are going to be people that be people that aren't going to want to um, let that new person come in. Mm-hmm. So I think with him that was kind of what he was doing and i think towards the end he grew to appreciate mcburphy i don't know if he ever really completely outright like trusted him mm-hmm. but he grew to appreciate him and like him and i think with his character i think part of what that was a commentary on is i think he was also dealing with his sexuality and i think he was in denial a lot about his sexuality and it's very very it's kind of glossed over it's kind of touched on but kind yeah. of not um and but i think that's sort of what that that character kind of represents is um you know the 
someone who is battling against that and trying to be like a typical American guy at that time. So, yeah. So I think that's kind of, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I, I really liked, I really liked the cast. I really liked the characters. And this was a very, very good movie. Very great pick. Um, And I think it's, I think, because my husband and I were talking about it, because I told him I was watching the movie for the podcast, and he's like, oh, I haven't seen that movie in forever. And I was like, I've never seen it. And he's like, what? <laughs> I got one of those. <laughs> and and I was like, well, when did, was the last time you think you watched it? And so we're kind of trying to remember. He thinks that he kind of remembers watching it in, like, high school. So there was probably, like, a unit with the book and everything. Um but he couldn't recall exactly. And I was like, I th I think maybe we might have watched it in high school. But maybe I skipped class that day. I don't know. I don't know why I'd skip movie day for class. But but yeah, so <laughs> I thought for sure maybe once I kind of got into the movie a bit, if I had already seen it, things would kind of click. Oh, yes. Now I remember. None of that happened. And I was just a puddle afterwards. And I loved every emotionally <laughs> draining second of it. Um such a fool for heartbreak all right well let's see i guess we can start going on to the uh wrapping it up portion so i've decided that i would like to support other indie podcasters so if you have a promo i would put it in here i don't have a lot so i can't really introduce the next one but <laughs> um but you would be the sponsor of the Midwest Goodbye, and that includes Stray Bubbles, Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, What's Been Streaming, and that, so that's an additional 45 minutes, which is the Midwest Goodbye. So, uh, <laughs> Sorry. so any, <laughs> it's a thing. Oh my God. It's, yeah. You see, if you ever see the memes about it, they are 100% true. So until I get some more uh, pod uh, indie pod promos to insert here, we'll go ahead and move on to Stray Bubbles. So this is our last chance to bring up anything else we missed. Scenes, quotes, notes, anything. Aaron, do you oh, have anything man. or do you think we you got it all out or you got a bit more? Yeah, to I was trying to think if there's anything else that I really, really, really wanted to say. Um you know, there's, you know, I try to critique stuff and look for, and it's really hard for me to critique anything, like look at anything bad in this movie because it means so much to me. So I can't really do that. Um, I think this is an interesting, um, I was trying to, I was looking up some stuff about, about um, when uh, Ken Kesey wrote this novel, because it was actually the novel was also a huge, was also a success. This movie, by the way, people did not realize it was going to be as successful as it was. This movie made like over a hundred million dollars, which in that time holy shit because um i think that was let me look at the exact number because jack nicholson took a pay cut to be in this movie so that it could be made and he just took a portion of the profits profits which ended up being a lot more profitable for him <laughs> uh which actually happens a lot when actors do that so i'm trying to i'm trying to look up the exact amount but yeah it's like it was a huge hit when, of course, Best Picture, Jack Nicholson won, won an Oscar and Louise Fletcher won an Oscar. Brad Dourif was nominated. I always think it's funny to remember that this was produced by Michael Douglas. The only reason I think is just because of the time period. Um, and Will Sampson, uh, this was Will Sampson's very first role ever. 
And Will Sampson was chosen because uh, he was a park ranger in Oregon near where the movie was filmed. And he was selected in part because he was the only Native American actor they could find that was tall enough to play this role. So, which is interesting. Also, I don't know if you knew this, Jen, but a lot of the patients you see that aren't like the main core group were actually patients in in a hospital. I had read that. Yeah, I had I had seen that little bit. I started going through the IMDb trivia and there was a lot. And I was like, well, I bet Aaron will have the good stuff. (laughs) I was like, oh, my. (laughs) I got down a couple of scrolls and I was like, oh, boy, that's a lot. So and I was trying to focus on the movie because. I really wanted to pay attention and not be distracted yeah. by going through the trivia and everything. So, so yeah, I, but I, I think that was like one of the top ones when, when going through is that there were actual like real patients and, um, mm-hmm. and it was over, it was, it grossed over $120 million. Holy shit. <laughs> For 1975 Which... money, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is very much a 70s movie. The 70s are known as like this really like amazing time for cinema because you had all these daring movies and then the 80s kind of changed it a little bit and became more about money and profits and stuff, which there's some great movies in the 80s. I mean, we just talked about, I just recorded an episode for my podcast about Back to the Future. So it's funny watching Christopher Lloyd in this and then watching Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future do totally different roles. Uh <laughs> But I think, you know, another thing that I love about this movie is it's not afraid to, um, this is going to sound weird, but to get ugly in a way that you don't see in movies as much anymore. Like, and I mean, to get real and to get honest about people and to not make it pretty or to gloss over it or to make it, I don't know, gorier or than it than it really was in a way. So to make it more real, I yeah. think that's why people loved movies in the seventies. Is everything was a lot more like real. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if um if uh drugstore cowboy is in the IMDb top two fifty. For uh, some reason, that movie just directly came out to me because I didn't know if that was one you had seen. Um, but that's another one that's very like <laughs> kind of in the same kind of mm-hmm. um not drugstore cowboy. Um that's that's the eighties movie. Never mind, I'll think of it here. Um oh, oh my gosh, that's gonna drive me nuts <laughs> because it's such a good movie. Uh and it was it was rated X. It was actually it was before they got rid of and they rated it Midnight Cowboy and ah. it was rated X because um it's you know men being hustlers and there's lots of sex and stuff in it, but I mean, nowadays it'd be rated maybe R. <laughs> I don't know if it'd even be rated X, uh, but it's intense. But anyway, sorry, that was totally off the thing. But I'm just talking about like in the 70s, they did stuff like that where it was really about taking risks and chances. And I think in today's world, if someone had made one flew over the cuckoo's nest today, not Ryan Murphy, but if someone had taken it and done it like like Milos Foreman did, which mm-hmm. another thing I wanted to comment on is the directing. I think the directing is beautiful in this. I think, um, you know, the script is beautiful. Uh, the directing, it, it, you know, he knew he had an incredible cast and he let his cast do what they had to do and they gave him so much. I mean, he's an amazing director anyway, but I think he kind of knew he had such a great cast with him. Um, and then a little bit of trivia about Ken Kesey that I think is really kind of interesting. This was after he wrote this, though, but 
Um, he did participate in government studies involving hallucinogenic drugs like mescaline and LSD to supplement his income. interesting (laughs) yes and i always consider him the generation but he likes to say he is a link between the beat generation and the hippies so he was always part of the counterculture Mm -hmm. and you can really see that in this novel and anything Mm -hmm. he does so and i i always like the beat generation more than the hippies in a way i think the beat generation ended up coming the punks and yeah stuff like that anyway that has nothing to do with anything but except (laughs) that you can see that in the movie i think yeah I can see the influence of that. I think with McMurphy, especially McMurphy represents, you know, he's like the, he's the Jack Kerouac and the Allen Ginsberg and all those people. And also I think the other reason I wanted to bring up with the sexuality is that's a lot of what was dealt with, uh, with those writers is you had a lot of people that were bisexual, like Neil Cassidy and then, you know, Allen Ginsberg was gay. And so you had all these men, who had very close male relationships and dealing with also coming to terms with their own sexuality, but being okay with it in this group of men that they found. And so I think that was kind of what was trying to be explored with some of these characters and also explored just in the male relationships, not even with sexuality, but just watching men, um, you know, find a bond with each other and kind of i don't know an emotional bond in a very different way if you're in a situation like that that's therapeutic where you're supposed to be opening up about your emotions and back then men still weren't you know that wasn't something men did mm-hmm. so i think that's another thing it's trying to explore so i feel like i just did a bunch of word salad there but <laughs> well, it was delicious <laughs> thank you uh- <laughs> no but i i i think i know what you mean about kind of like the real like it being feeling very real because with these performances there were times where I was like I I didn't see Danny and you know what I'm going to be completely honest I didn't even realize that was Danny DeVito until I went to go do the IMDb. oh really and so I, when I'm writing everything out I fucking gasped and it's like I knew he was an act you know I knew that character was being played by an actor and not an actual real life patient you know like because those were just uh the background characters in the movie but there was just something about these portrayals that it felt so real. Like they, I just something about how they kind of got into the characters in this kind of portrayal. And there, I would agree. There is something about like the 70s, the movies, a lot of movies from the seventies where there's like a sense of like very realistic feel to it. You know, it's a movie, but at the same time, it feels real. It feels like you could almost walk out your door and see what you're seeing. So I think I, I think I know what you're saying uh, with, with all of that. So because there were times where I was just like, I, I'm just I'm enthralled and not on my phone and just was like, really like these characters really captured me and held my attention and was amazing. I, I don't know what else to say other than it was just <laughs> fantastic and loved it. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure that I really have too much to add. Um other than just more gushing of the performances and everything. Um, So we'll go ahead and get started with the next segment, The Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest edition. So this is where we will get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less. And Aaron, how did you do? First, before I start, I want to tell you something funny. (laughs) So I started doing this last night. You know what I'm starting to connect. I'm like, and then this, and I'm like, Aaron, 
it's not six degrees of Finn Whitrock. <laughs> it's six degrees of Nicholas Cage because I connected it to Finn and I'm like, oh, whoops. Because on my podcast, I play six degrees of Finn Whitrock. And so I'm playing this. And so I just, it's just autopilot. And I'm like, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not connecting him to Nicholas Cage. Uh, I completely anyway. understand. <laughs> It was just really funny. But so uh, <laughs> I did actually start with the same way that I was going to defend too, which is really funny. But so I used Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson was in The Departed with Leonardo DiCaprio, who was in Revolutionary Road with Michael Shannon, who was in Nine Perfect Strangers with Nicole Kidman, who was in Big Little Lies with Laura Dern, who was in Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage. Very nice. Ooh, way to end on Wild at Heart. Good job. All right. Well, I have, we'll say three and a half. Um, so I've got, I started with Louise Fletcher, to honor Louise Fletcher. So she was in a movie called High School High from 1993. And I remember that movie. It's got Tia Carrere, John Lovitz. It's like this weird satire <laughs> on like, you know, the white teacher in the inner city school kind of thing. Um, but another actor in that movie is Guillermo Diaz, who was in Half Baked with Dave Chappelle, who was then in Con Air with Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> the second one that I have is Christopher Lloyd. And I saw that he's actually going to be in an upcoming episode of The Mandalorian in this new season. So his character isn't named, but it is out there on IMDb that he's going to be in Mandalorian in 2023. That, of course, stars Pedro Pascal, who was then in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with Nicolas Cage. Now, my one and a half, and this is not a slight on Danny DeVito. It just so happens that both Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito were in the, I guess, mockumentary I'm Still Here with Joaquin Phoenix playing on, oh, I yeah. think version fictionalized versions of themselves and joaquin phoenix was in eight millimeter with nicholas cage so <laughs> oh man eight millimeter Whoosh. dude oh, no gosh. shit right <laughs> okay Sorry. I, saw that, I saw that one in the theater on my birthday so happy birthday yeah <laughs> that's how i spent my birthday <laughs> So, yeah, I, I've got a thing for, you know, movies that leave you emotionally just gutted and not feeling very good by the end of it. So. <laughs> well, apparently I do, too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because what was it? There was something, I think, in one of the last seasons of uh, American Horror Story that was like dark and fucked ups by bread and butter or something. It was something along those lines where yeah. I was like, yes, that's exactly what we've been saying for quite a while now. And that needs to be on a, on a throw pillow. <laughs> on a throw pillow. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that I just automatically was not like Aaron. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think that's great. That's so funny. So Aaron, what else has been streaming in your bubble? In your bubble. Like I said, <laughs> well, and this isn't streaming, but um, I'm just gonna keep I'm not gonna shut up about this movie for the rest of the year. But if you are a horror fan and you've not watched Barbarian, go watch Barbarian. If you feel comfortable going to the theaters, go see it in the theaters. Do not, do not, do not, please do not spoil yourself. Luckily, people have been very kind about not spoiling this movie. This movie is a trip, and there are quite a few turns this movie makes that you cannot see coming if you watched just the first initial trailer or if you just look at 
the synopsis, which is just basically a woman and a man find out they've both booked the same Airbnb, that man being played by Bill Skarsgård, which instantly, if you, if you, if you watch the new it, he plays Pennywise and stuff. So he kind of throws you off, you know, you see him and it's like, okay, he's going to be this creepy guy and stuff. So just anyway, just go into it as blind as you possibly can. And in about 30 minutes in, you will have your first of like, what the fuck just happened? Literally, <laughs> I think everybody in the theater when I saw it said, what the fuck just happened? And then started laughing. And it's actually really funny too in parts, but it's it's one of the best horror movies I've seen this year. It's a great year for horror. I also recommend on Shudder. Uh, speak no evil this is the feel bad movie of the year oh it really is i saw someone post that uh killer horror critic i always want to give them credit for this because they said if you want to see the feel bad horror the feel bad movie of the year watch speak no evil and it's very true it's a dutch horror movie on shutter and yeah it's just it's very depressing oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm recommending very happy stuff for you to scream so i apologize on a lighter note, go watch the, if you, speaking of Christopher Lloyd, go watch the documentary on Peacock, Back in Time, which is all about the huge fandom around Back to the Future. And he is in there as himself a couple of times. And it's just, if you're a fan of that movie, it's really interesting to see the fandom. And that's a little lighter because there's a bunch of other stuff I could say that's heavy too, but I'll <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> spooky season it's you know and I, I've heard nothing I've heard nothing but great things about Barbarian and so I'm staying very far away from it so that way when I do get to watch it like you said going in as blind as possible but it seems to be very being held in very high regards within the horror film community and even outside of the horror film community it's just really it's really well done it's really really well done so Excellent. Well, those are great recommendations. I think maybe the second one, not so much. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good speak. No evil is yeah. a good film, but I just want to make sure, you know, you're not in for a light, joyous sure. <laughs> evening of watching. So. <laughs> good to know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, for us, uh, husband and I started watching Andor last night, the new uh, Star Wars series on Disney plus. Um, only got about an episode and a half in before I started dozing off. I'm very sleepy on the weekends. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's because I don't get any sleep during the week. So Friday, Saturday nights come around and I'm just like, out. <laughs> uh, and we're also watching House of the Dragon and kind of staying current on that. And I've been really enjoying that. And that also triggered a rewatch of Game of Thrones. So I'm kind of working that in when I can. And then just still a bunch of Star Trek. So we've got the Paramount Plus. So we're watching Next Generation, Voyager, Lower Decks. And once we kind of get through those, then um, we'll probably start on the other newer series, uh, Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, those things. So it, I, I really have been enjoying my time with Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come down to edit. And even though like I'm editing and I've got my uh, headphones on and stuff, I still have to turn the TV on as like the background. So it's always on some sort of Star Trek. So I, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, 
Aaron, I want to thank you so much for joining me today to discuss your favorite movie, uh, one of your top three favorite movies. Hopefully I did a good job for you. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. It, so. And if you want to go ahead and tell the listeners uh, where you can be found and everything, go for it. Yep. Yep. Uh, so my podcast is It's a Fandom Thing. You can find on all podcast platforms, including ones that Jen doesn't like. <laughs> to throw that in there but you <laughs> i checked the other day too and it's still like like fuck off pandora <laughs> but i am on pandora so you can find me there <laughs> and on all the other major podcast platforms and the minor ones too um and basically my podcast covers all things fandom and pop culture primarily from the female perspective and we will be doing horror movies coming up soon we're going to be talking about like Asian horror, we're going to be talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro. We're going to be talking about vampires and sexuality. We're going to be talking about the Lost Boys, uh, Child's Play series, uh, Final Destination series, uh, the Purge series, which I don't care what anybody says. I love those movies. <laughs> and <laughs> and then horror movies about cults. So if you are looking for horror stuff, we have you covered there. Uh, you can follow us or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. Um, on Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. You can go to our website, It's a Fandom Thing Pod.com. We play Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, and you can play the audience version of Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock for a chance to win some merch. And you just, there's a page literally titled Six Degrees of, <laughs> of Finn Whitrock. So you can win some merch there. Uh, we also have some new horror merch coming. And if you're a Queers Folk fan, we have brand new merch there for that too. So yeah, I think that's that's it for my vlogs. <laughs> you can follow me too, personally, if you want to on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. All right. Well, thank you, Bubblies, for tuning in today. And yeah, keep streaming. <laughs> And yeah, I swear to God, I will one day not be so fucking awkward with my sign off. <laughs> oh and yep. God. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> oh, and keep streaming. <laughs> Make sure to get that in. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at BuyMeACoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.